weeks, and uh, we'll be done with 1 John. And in those three weeks, we're going to look at a couple really uh, difficult passages and passages that are real curious, one in regards to prayer, and then another in regards to the sin that does not lead to death, both at the end there in chapter 5. So we're looking forward to that, and then today... We're uh, going to read about John really wrapping up one of his major themes in this letter, which has been love one another. Uh, he's called the Apostle of Love. Um, he was the best friend to Jesus. He's called the Beloved Disciple. Uh, went with Jesus everywhere. Witnessed the miracles of Jesus. Um, was part of the inner three, which was Peter, James, and John. And John was probably the closest of those three. I mean, him and Jesus were as tight as you could, as you could be. And so he listened, right, in the very front row, if you will, and hear everything that Jesus said and everything that he taught his disciples. And one of the themes that he came away with from his time with Jesus that he's repeating to them and repeating to us is this theme of we need to love one another. And so it is this massive point that he makes throughout this letter and his last words regarding it are going to be today. So we're going to, uh, Lord willing, we're going to tie that up this afternoon and, and make sure that as best we can, we're understanding what John is talking about when he says to love one another. As well, we're going to see a great benefit that comes when we love one another that we haven't really looked deeply into yet. But let me read the scripture for today, and then I'll pray, and we'll get started 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. This is the Word of God. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Holy Word. Holy because it is set apart. It is from You. It is for us. Uh, help us this afternoon to, as we read Your Word, to understand what it is You have to say. Help me to preach well. Put good Gospel truth in my mouth. And we pray also for the ears of everyone in this room, for the hearts and for the minds that are going to listen. May each of us be discerning to hear Your Word and Your will come through. We're so thankful for John. We're thankful that You loved him the way You did, that You saved him the way You did, and that You inspired him to write uh, much of our New Testament. Thank You for this letter that he wrote to his Christian friends. Thank You that we can read it some 2,000 years later, and Your Holy Spirit can apply it to our hearts Thank You for this great gift, God. Help us to see it as the gift that it really is. We need You this afternoon uh, to do a great work in our hearts and to open our minds and to open our ears so we come asking for this. 
Same prayer every week, God. We love you. We need you. We pray this in the great name of your Son, whose name is Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along. In 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to back up just one verse to verse 16 and read that because verse 17 is going to, is going to refer back to it. So let's just read through these verses again and see the progression that's here. The progression is going to be God loves us. And because God loves us, we love God. But not only do we love God, we also love one another. So loving God and loving one another are both results from God loving us. So see that, starting with verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So that's first. We know and we believe that God loves us. He cherishes us. There is deep affection that God, the creator of the universe, has for us. And as Christians, we don't laugh at that. We don't dismiss that. We have come to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. So there it is. God loves us, and now a result is we love. We love God. We love others. The two greatest commandments. Love God. Love others. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love God. His brother. So two big points we're going to see in this particular text in regards to loving one another. The second one, and we'll get to in a few minutes, is that this love for one another, it brings assurance of our salvation. That's the new one that we're going to look at today. It's different. We haven't looked real deeply at that before. But this love that we have for one another, if we have this love for one another, the way John describes, that assures us that we're saved. It brings a deep and abiding certainty in our hearts that we belong to God. That that I am my beloved's and He is mine. And that assurance of being locked in with God grows as we love one another. He's going to make that point. But the first point that we'll look at first here is that in regards to this loving one another, it is prompted 
and it's enabled by God's love for us. So it's very unique. It's very unique. When the Bible talks about this love that that you and I are are to have for one another, specifically that starts with those who are closest to you, and then it goes out from there. So love one another uh, would apply to your family that, that God has given you, perhaps. Um, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, or you have children, this family that God has given you and you're called to love, you are certainly called to love them. And they should take priority in your life. Your husband, your wife, your children. And we go on from there and you have your church family. Your church family are are those brothers and sisters that you have who are in a, a local church with you. This isn't every brother and sister on the entire planet. There's millions of Christians today, maybe. There's millions of Christians, and when Scripture calls you to love one another, as we're going to see today, it's very specific how we're supposed to love them. And, and that would be an enormous Facebook friends list. It'd be impossible to love all global, you know, globally all Christians the way we're called to love one another. So it is demonstrated and it is taking place in your local church amongst those brothers and sisters that you are in a church with and, and committed to. And then, of course, it goes out from there and it is your neighbor. It's the person you live near. It's the person that you work with. It's your, your friends who perhaps aren't saved. It is, uh, it is all of them. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to love them. And the love that we have for them, it is, it's prompted by God loving us. And not only is it prompted by God's loving for us, in other words, that kind of jump starts it, but it also is enabled by God loving us. So the way that we're able to love each other is because we are being enabled by God to do that. Now that's very unique because there is, there is no love from any person that prompts us or enables us to love other people. That's not how love that goes back and forth between us, that's not how it, it works. It's reciprocated, and so if I love you, you love me, hopefully, and you have people in your life that, that you love, and they love you back. And that's why as they're leaving for work, you say, I love you, and they say, I love you too. So it goes back and forth, right? But, but when, when my wife and I are, are sitting down, maybe it's a, a nice ro- romantic evening, and I'm, I'm talking to her, I, I love all of you, but I don't sit there and talk to her for hours about how much I love all of you. That'd be kind of strange. It wouldn't be that romantic a night. But I, I would tell her about my love for her. Right? And so she loves me, and so I love her. And she does wonderful things for me, the way she loves me. And the way she loves me, it makes me want to uh, be a better husband, and it makes me want to be a better man, and a better father, and it makes me want to, to love her more. And it actually does make me love her more, but it doesn't necessarily make me love other people more. And that's probably the strongest love that anybody has for me. It's very different than, than God's love. The way my wife loves me, there are many ways, but one way is she cooks wonderful food for me. That is my love language. My love language is food. And when, when, when my wife cooks wonderful food for me, I just, I feel loved. She could make me a wonderful dinner and she could sit down next to me and she could say with her words, I hate you, and I could say, no, you don't. 
You don't. You don't because this food is it is it is saying something so different and so powerfully that I don't even hear. I don't even hear these words. <laughs> she wouldn't say that. But it's it's true. I feel so loved. And when she does that, it's just my my affection for her, it, it grows and, and, it, and it deepens. But it, it doesn't make me love other people. God's love is very different. It's very unique. It prompts us and enables us to love one another. So when God says to us, right, I love you. When God says, I love you, our response is, I love you too. And I love your people. It's different. It's different. It's, I love you too, and I love your people. And there's something that happens with God's love for us. It is unique in a way that prompts and, and enables that. At least a couple different ways as we try to, try to figure that out. One of the ways is that God's love for us, it, it affects us. In other words, it causes a change. It brings about uh, a result. When God loves us, right, He sets His favor on us. He, he saves us, and His love for us is efficacious. In other words, it, it produces a change in us. When God's love comes upon us, it is, think of it like this, it is a, a supernatural work where our disposition toward people is changed. So there is this there is this one time definitive positional change that happens to us, a supernatural thing when God loves us, right? It says you you're a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. Speaks dramatically, or you were dead and now you're alive, or you had a heart of stone and I took your heart of stone and I gave you a heart of flesh. You're softer, you're you're more tender. And that is a work that God has done in us when He loves us. So it affects us. But, but not only that, not only is there just a supernatural change that God works in us so that our disposition and our position towards people is just suddenly, literally different because God has done a work from inside. Not only that, not only is there a change, not only are we affected, but we're also affected. In other words, our, our feelings and our emotions are moved by God as our knowledge of His love increases. So there's a way that God loves you, right? And it is this definitive thing that happens when you become a Christian and you're born again and you're a new creation and you now have a different disposition toward everyone, and this new capacity to love that you didn't have. But then there's also not this position that is new, but then there's this process. There's this progressive thing that happens as God loves you more and more throughout your life and your understanding of God's love increases more and more throughout life that your, your feelings and your emotions are affected by this knowledge that you have of God's love. So when you first became a Christian, some of you, there was a, a way that you understood God's love that was true, and, and you turned to Him because it was, it was wonderful, and it was what you, what you needed, and, and you realized that, and, and you, so you ran to Him, right? And you knew that he, that he loved you. You came to believe, verse 16 of chapter 4, His love for you. 
But then there's been this thing that has happened since then where through reading your Bible and through praying and listening to sermons and talking with your Christian friends that you have grown in your understanding of how much God loves you. So you should be able to say today that, that I, I knew God loved me when I became a Christian, but I had no idea that He loved me this much. So my understanding of, of the degree of His love, it has increased. Here's what is, is really cool, is that our entire life, we are growing, right, in knowledge and depth of insight. We're growing in our understanding of how much God loves us. Because it's unfathomable. And so we don't ever get to a point where, okay, I've reached the lid, I, I get it, I feel it, I understand the degree to which God loves me. You, you won't ever hit that ceiling. We'll spend our entire life growing in our understanding of how much God loves us. And so there's a way then that as our understanding of how much God loves me grows, now... I love people more. I love people more. Because when, when I realize how much God has loved me and how much He's forgiven me, it has a softening effect on me. It has a softening effect on my heart. And I'm, I'm not so critical of people anymore. Because I know that God is not critical of me. I'm not so critical of others. I, I, I'm not so fake with people. I mean, there is real, genuine love that is kindled because I know how much God loves me. I also have this, this idol of approval that gets shattered when I realize how much God loves me. See, a lot of the loving that we do with each other, we've talked about this through the series, really isn't love. It's just attempts to get loved. And so I'm going to treat you a certain way and, and I'm going to say certain things and I'm going to be the kind of friend that's going to get me the kind of friend that I want and that I need. And I want your love and I want your approval and I want you to praise me and I want you to think good thoughts of me and I want you to make much of me. And so the way that I get that is to make much of you and to love you. That's not real love. That's not real love. It's selfish. And it's trying to get love. But if I understand how much Jesus loves me, the more I understand that, the less I need that from all of you. The less I need that. Because the one who's truly important, the one who really matters, is God. And if I understand and know that the Creator and the Judge, that He loves me, that He forgives me, and that I do not stand condemned before Him, it helps me to let go of this effort in my life to get loved by other people. So this is the way that, that, that we love because God first loved us. He loved you and He repositioned you. He changed you from the inside out and gave you a capacity to love that you did not have before. But not only that, He continues to minister His love to you throughout your life. You deepen your understanding of His love for you. And as that deepens, you love people more. Your affection for those around you, it grows and it deepens and it widens. So this is, this is the, 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 the love that God has for us that causes us to love one another. If you're taking notes, write down some scriptures. I'm going to give you some scriptures that we're going to go through 
pretty quickly from the New Testament because we're going to leave this, this, this topic of loving one another that John talks about. Let, let's, let's get a good understanding, looking at other verses in the Bible of what this means to love one another. And understand that this is the love that is required. This is the love that's talked about. And, and just let these verses, as you're listening to them, Think about your church family and think about where you are doing well and where you're not doing well. We pray the conviction would settle in as we're reading through these. John 13, 34 and 35, you've heard this. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, that's what John's remembering, Jesus saying, and that's what he's expounding on in his letter of 1 John. Jesus saying, love one another. Paul says in Romans 12.10, more specifically, love one another with brotherly affection. That's the degree of love we're talking about. How do I love one another? How do we love one another? With brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's the competition. It's honoring one another. It's loving one another. Outdo one another in your love for, for each other. That's what he's talking about. Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So there should be instructing one another, or admonishing one another, or counseling one another. There should be bringing the Word of God to bear on one another's lives if we love one another. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. Comfort one another. Agree with one another as part of what it means to love one another. We comfort one another. Comfort. Do we know what the struggles are and where the pain is and, and where the unanswered prayers are and where the suffering is? And do we know where that is so that we can comfort one another? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This idea of bearing one another's burdens, and, and restoring one another, and confronting one another. This is what it means to love one another. See, loving one another in our culture would probably be defined just as making much of each other. Just, just making much of each other. Just, you're a really big deal. And, and the life revolving around you and the conversation centering on you. And when those things happen, right, we feel, we feel love. But that's not what New Testament, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-enabled, that's not the love that John is talking about. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. That means you are going to sin against one another. That's why you're going to need to forgive one another. You're going to be sinned against by people 
in your church family. They're going to hurt you. They're going to say things they shouldn't say. They're going to do things they shouldn't do. They're going to cross lines. They're going to sin against you. Well, don't get bitter. Don't resent them. Don't sin in your anger. Rather, forgive them, Ephesians 4 says. Let it go. Let it go so that you can encourage them and love them and be kind to them. Or Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you sing to each other? I want to start. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Do we encourage one another? Do we build one another up or do we tear one another down? Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10.24 and 25 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't give up meeting with one another. And as you, what's happening is you're meeting with one another according to Hebrews 10. You're encouraging one another. That is the purpose of meeting together. That you could be an encouragement to one another. How would you encourage one another? That you could spur one another on to love and good works. He says to consider how you can do this. How many of us sit around and we consider how can I, when I come together with my church family... How can I spur them on to love and good works? How can I help them and encourage them and be a motivation to them to love other people and to do good works that are pleasing to God? So he doesn't just say, do not give up meeting together. Right? He, he's not saying that love one another is getting in the same room together. Just, just get in the same room. I know that's tough. I know your schedules are busy. Just get in the same room together. Do that. Don't worry. There'll be a greeting time in the middle of the service. That's where you can really get down to loving one another. It's much deeper than that, right? How are you going to spur one another on towards love and good works? How are you going to encourage one another if we don't know one another? Or we've been beating this drum a lot. But there's a kind of loving one another that is a sham that is really popular in the church today. And that kind of loving one another is just not doing the bad things to one another. But completely ignoring all the things we're called to do toward one another. Well, at least I'm not you know, biting and devouring the Bible talks about. At least I'm not grumbling. At least I'm not gossiping. At least I'm not slandering. At least I'm not doing those things. And so that is loving one another. No, that is passive. It's not active. And it's not what loving one another means. He's going beyond that. 
It is not just showing up. It is not just not being mean toward one another. It is a proactive sort of love that, that wants to know and understand those around you who are in your church family so that you can love them. This is why we encourage things like community groups. This is why we encourage things like membership. We're not interested in, in doing this just so that we can assimilate people so that we can be a, a, the biggest church on the block, so that we can have numbers to boast about. We're doing this and encouraging these things because we're encouraged in Scripture to love one another. And we can't love one another if we're not knowing one another. And we can't love one another if we're not committed to one another. We know one another through community groups as one avenue, and we're committed to one another through church membership. So these are ways that we become obedient to God's call, John's call for us to love one another. Apart from those kinds of things, we say love one another, right? And we just don't be mean to each other, but we don't ever really know each other. Ask yourself, ask yourself, are you thoroughly equipped throughout the week to pray specifically for people in this church right now? If you're not, you at least, right, may not be loving one another. Are you thoroughly equipped throughout this week to bear burdens and to go to God specifically? Not just the general prayers that we're all good at. Lord, I pray for John that you would watch over him. God's like, got it. I had been neglecting John. Thank you. It's hard to keep track of all. John, thank you. I'll watch over him this week, but not next week unless you pray again. Lord, be with. Right? We, I've, I've been convicted in my prayer life at times. God, be with this person. God, watch over this person. God, guide this person. Wonderful prayers. Until I realize that the reason I'm praying those things is I just don't know what else to pray. I don't know what they're anxious about. I don't know what they're worried about. I don't know what they're hoping for. I don't know what they're praising God for. I don't know them. I can't pray for them. And so it's a clue that I am not equipped to love one another. First Peter 4, 9, and 10, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You love the second part of that verse? Show hospitality to one another, but not just that, without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is what John means when he says, love one another. Here's what it doesn't mean. Galatians 5.15 But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another. And James 5.9, do not grumble against one another. So this is just a sampling of what Scripture has to say about loving one another so that you can see that it is a massive truth that God brings to bear on us through His Word. We must love one another and this is what it means to love one another. And this is what John has been encouraging us to do over and over again in this book. And now we come to verse 17. By this, and the this is that loving one another. By this, that loving one another, if you look at verse 16 before. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So by this, he just finishes teaching on loving one another. By this, he says three things in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. Number two, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, number three, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let's break them down. So first he says, by this, by loving one another, love is perfected with us. So when we love one another, that is how God's love is perfected in us. Now it doesn't mean flawless, which is typically how we use the word perfect. It doesn't mean that, that, that God's love in us and through us now as we love others is going to be a perfect love that's not going to have any flaws and if it does, and you don't love one another perfectly, then you know God doesn't love you. It's not saying that. Rather, the word here, when you look at some other verses, it has a much bigger meaning. Meaning things like accomplish, completed, fulfilled. Here's the same word. Listen, John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. That word accomplish is the same word as this perfected love. Jesus says, I came to accomplish his work. Now, Jesus is not saying that God the Father's work was flawed and Jesus came to perfect it and fix it. That's not what it means. It means that he came to accomplish, to fulfill, to complete this work. Or John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Fulfill the scripture. Same word is perfected here in verse 17. Fulfill. He's not saying that Scripture was not perfect, it was flawed, but now, now it's perfect, now it's flawless. He's not saying that. He's saying that he came to complete and to fulfill and to accomplish what Scripture said he was going to accomplish. Or James 2.22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So you have faith in God and your faith and your trust in God. It leads to good works. Okay, That is the, the end, if you will, of your faith is how it 
reaches out to love others. It is not saying that your faith in God is flawed and it's not perfect. And then once you love other people, okay, now your love is and your faith is right and perfect. That's not what it's saying. And so when he says that by loving one another, okay, God's love is perfected with us, what he's saying is that God's love is, is completed in and through us. In other words, God loves us. But God loving us is not the, the end of His goal in loving us. Okay, where it comes to completion and where it ends and where it's supposed to go is that God loves us and He loves others through us. By this, your love for one another they will know that you are my disciples. They will know that I love you. They will know that I have saved you. They will know that I have changed you. They will know that I am changing you because of your love for one another. And so he says that by this, loving one another, this is how God's love is completed in us. God's love is expressed to us and through us. This is what is so different about God's love. God loves us, but then when we love others, it is a way that God displays His love through you and through me. When you love me as your Christian brother, when you, when you love me with, it, with a deep affection that sacrifices yourself for, for my good, that's what the kind of love He's talking about. When, when that happens, I, I don't just see or think that, that you love me, and I don't think how, if I understand God's Word, I don't think, wow, you're so amazing, and you're so wonderful, and you're so great that, that you love me like this. What I think is, how great is God? How amazing is God? Because He's the one who enables you and loves you and, and prompts you to love me this way. And so what an amazing God that you could just put aside your desires and, and your wants and, and your will and your agenda. That you can put all that aside. I mean, that's what everybody is about in our culture. Everybody is just about me and my way and my fulfillment and getting what I want when I want it. And you put all that aside? And you love me and have affection for me? Well, this God that you love and loves you must be so wonderful, so amazing that you're able to give up all those worldly pursuits and love me. And so when that happens, God's love is perfected in us. He is expressing His love to us and through us. That's a big deal. And then he says there's a result. There's a result that, that happens. There is a result of us loving one another. By this is love perfected with us so that, and here's the result of us loving one another, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So the result of us Loving one another. 
which is God loving us and others through us. The result here, according to verse 17, of us loving one another is that we gain confidence for the day of judgment. We gain confidence for the day of judgment. Is that not something we all want? Hebrews 9.27 says, Every man is destined to die once and then to face judgment. God put a clarifier because He knew there was going to be some crazy teaching. Well, you die once, but then you're reincarnated. Come back, you get another shot at it. Ah, get another shot, get another shot. God says, no, you're destined to die one time. One time. And after you die, you face judgment. There's no, there's no getting out of that. And so the teaching of God's judgment is that one day Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, he will return to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge. He's going to draw a line in the sand, if you will. And there will be those who are with him and those who are against him. And those who are for him will go to be with him in glory forever. And those who are against him will be alienated from him forever in hell. That's the day of judgment. We want confidence going into that day. You want right now, as you look forward to that day of judgment, don't you? You want to have confidence. And if you don't have confidence, it gnaws away at you. You don't want that anymore. You, you don't like that. It is painful. It keeps you up at night. It makes you sick to your stomach. It drives you crazy. Having no confidence, knowing that judgment is coming. I mean, it makes you want to live in a bubble. You don't, you don't know when you're going to die. You don't know if you're going to get hit by a truck. You don't know if you're going to get a disease. You don't know when your life's going to end, and it could happen tonight, right? And in junior high, someone gave that talk. If you're going to die tonight, where are you going to go? And so you've thought those thoughts, and you've, you've felt that. And if you don't have any confidence for the day of judgment, that is, that is petrifying. That is petrifying to think that you may, and if it's not, it should be, that you would stand before God as His enemy and He would cast you out of His presence. And so we want, he, He's talking about something that we, we all, as human beings, that we all really want. We want confidence on that day. That comes from loving one another. We'll come back to that. And then the third thing He says in the sentence, because... As He is, so also are we in this world. So, so this is the ground for everything He just said, the foundation, because. So He's telling us to buy this by loving one another. If we love one another, okay, we gain confidence for the day of judgment. How does that work? He answers it with the last part of verse 17. How, how does that work? How does me loving other people, how is that supposed to give me confidence when I stand before God in, in judgment? And, and here's what he's saying. When it says, as He is, that's Jesus. As Jesus is, 
so also are we in this world. And, and I think this is what that means. It's saying that there's something about Jesus in this world, and we share that. As it is for him, it is for us. And whatever that truth is, that is the whole foundation of this confidence that we have before God. As he is, so also are we in this world. John 17.23 says this, Jesus is praying to God and he says, I and them and you and me praying for us that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus says in his prayer to God in John chapter 17 that God loves us that God the Father loves us the way God the Father loves Jesus. As He is, so are we also in this world. Loved by God. Loved by God. That is the foundation of our confidence. Loved by God. When we love one another... Right? God's love is perfected in us. When we love one another, we, we gain confidence because loving one another right, is proof that God loves us. We don't do that otherwise. We don't just love one another because we read a good book on it. We don't love one another because we went to the love one another seminar. We don't love one another because it just clicked at some point. We, don't, we, don't, we love one another because, that was how we, we started talking this afternoon, right? Because he loved us. So when we love one another, it gives you confidence for the day of judgment because ah, I'm loving one another. Look at this, I'm loving people. Ah, I, have to, I have affection for you. I would not normally have any affection for you. It would be repulsion. And I have affection. I love you. I would not call you. I would not have your number. I would not spend time with you. And I want to spend time with you. This is strange. You don't irritate me. You don't bother me. I, I love you. I want to be with you. I have a deep affection. And I actually want to express it. I'm praying for you. And I'm not making myself pray for you. It's actually flowing from something. That, that's, that's amazing. Where did this come from? And he's saying it came from God loving you the way he loved Jesus. That He loves you the way He loves His own Son. Because you are in Christ. He sees you as He sees Christ. And He loves you and it's changed you. And that's where this ability to love one another comes from. So by this, God's love is perfected in us as we love one another. We gain confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, Jesus is loved, so also are we. We're loved in this world right now the way God loved you. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was loved by God the Father. As He was in the world, so also are we right now. God loves you. Not like a second-rate, red-headed stepchild. He loves you the way He loves Jesus. That kind of love. A deep, deep, abiding affection is God's love for you and for me. <laughs> Where that came from? Verse 18. <laughs> so verse 17, 
So that is something that we all, we all want confidence for the day of judgment. And we get that, it says, by, by loving one another. But, but now also we see that something gets taken away. So we gain confidence and fear gets taken away. I mean, these are like, these are quintessential desires of human beings. To have conf- if there's a God, if we've gotten that far and believe that, to have confidence before Him and to not be afraid anymore. All of us have experienced fear. All of us have experienced fear. And, and he says that, that this casts out fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, right? That's God's love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So perfect love, God loving us and loving others through us, that gives us confidence for the day of judgment, but it also casts out all of our fear. And the reason is, there should be no fear of punishment from someone who loves you. If you're afraid that someone who loves you is going to punish you, they don't love you. If someone loves you, they do not punish you. God loves you. How would he punish you? Why would God punish you? He loves you. So it should cast out that fear. We have to make a distinction between punishment and discipline. They're very different. Punishment and discipline, very different. Discipline is restorative and punishment is retributive. A punishment is getting you back for something. That will be hell. Hell will be punishment. God's children will not be in hell. His beloved will not be in hell. Hell will be punishment. It will be retribution. It will be, as the Johnny Cash song says, sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. It's punishment. It's, you, can, you, can, you can run on for a long time. If you know the song, I'm not going to... I'm wanting to... <laughs> it's Jackson's favorite song right now, and we're trying to... No, there's other songs. That's a good one, but it's just... And he's saying, sooner or later, I'm going to cut you down. And we're like, no, no, it's God, not you. It's just creating all these theological problems in our home. The punishment is, is, is retributive. Punishment is you getting what you deserve. Hell is punishment. And there are many who will, who will, by God's common grace, who will have a, a great run in this lifetime and may enjoy success and, and may have many pleasures and, and many delights in this life, but it will all catch up and punishment will come. Okay, all the wicked are punished. Every single one of them. You, Christian, were punished in Christ. God lets nothing go. He sweeps nothing under the carpet. So punishment is retribution. Now God's discipline is his love. It's restorative. It's not getting you back for something. It's getting you back from something. 
It's, 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 it's wandering and, and going away. And, and it may feel the same. It's still going to be pain and suffering introduced in your life. But in God's children, it has a completely different purpose, intention, and effect. It brings them, it brings them back. It brings them to Him. It draws them near Him. Punishment pushes you away. Hardens the heart. Discipline softens the heart. It's God on a rescue mission with you. Just like good parents who discipline their children. Good parents should never punish their children. Should never give their children what they deserve. Or the children should turn right around and give their parents what they deserve. But rather, it's parents disciplining their children in an effort to restore them and to rescue them. You're going away from God. You're disobeying mom. You're disobeying dad. You're disobeying the Lord. You need to come back. There needs to be a consequence, but the purpose is not to put you out in the cold, but to restore you and to bring you back that you would feel, that you would feel the pain and agony of being separate and away. Come back, won't you? And that's what God does with His children. So expect to be disciplined by God pain and suffering in your life that is going to be for your good. But never, ever, ever punishment. That is sick. God never, ever punishes His children. Never. He loves His children. John is saying that's ludicrous. Don't you see? God loves you. That should cast out all fear of punishment. Why? Because He loves you. If He loves you, He doesn't punish you. So great joy. I mean, nothing can knock you down, Christian. All the pain, all the suffering in the world, even that agony and that anguish you know is God's loving hand for your good. To draw you back to Him. To make heaven sweeter. It's all good from His hand. But never, ever, Ever. You did this. You get this. Not from God. From your friends? Yeah. From your pastor? Probably. From people? Absolutely. From sinful, wicked, fickle Christians? Yes. From God? He does not operate that way. He loves you. Loves you. So you should gain confidence. And you should lose, John is saying, fear. How do I gain that confidence? How do I lose that fear? How do I have that kind of assurance and security in Christ? Love one another. Isn't that interesting? I mean, here's where I go. I'm not feeling assured before God. I have fear, and I do. I do, and some of you do. Some of you, assurance and confidence just comes easily for you. You're just rock solid. A gift from God. Others of you, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. The confidence comes and goes. The assurance comes and goes very difficult. Now here's how my mind thinks. When I'm not feeling assured before God, I need to stop sinning. I need to get perfecter. 
So I think I need to, I need to get this all straightened out because that's kind of the lie. And if I get these things all straightened out and I'm perfect for a day or perfect for a week, oh, now I'm going to feel secure before God again. But that's not John's argument here. And that's completely wrong-headed thinking. Now I'm getting religious, right? Now I'm getting like I prop a ladder up against heaven and each rung is, you know, the different rule that I follow and I'm going to feel good and like I'm looking over the cloud when I do all those things. And that's not where our assurance is based. Our assurance is based in God's love for us. And how do I know? How do I encourage that? How do I gain confidence? Love one another, he says. That's what we should be about. If you're struggling with confidence on the day of judgment and you're struggling with fear from God, John's advice is that you love one another. You start having deep affection for those in your church. He's getting real practical. And you start loving them and encouraging them. And that is the biblical recipe, if you will, to gain confidence. And if you're not loving them and you're not able to love them and you don't want to love them, you may just learn something that you have no reason for confidence and you should have fear and you should become a Christian. But if you do that and you love, you know your assurance will be increased because you will know that it is because of God's great love for you. So he says we should love one another so that we can like Paul in 2 Timothy 4.6. Listen to what he says. Here's assurance that we all want. Here's this confidence, fear casted out in Paul at the end of his life. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Departure means death. He's saying, here's, here's, here's a, an old man saying, I'm at the end of my life here. And listen to the confidence he has. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So that first point we saw that loving one another is prompted, it is enabled by God. But then we see as well that loving one another brings this great assurance of salvation. We hear it in Paul's voice. And J.C. Ryle, he was a pastor in the 19th century, he said about this passage, he encouraged us as Christians to look like Paul, to look down, to look backward, and to look forward. And you hear him look down, you hear him look at the grave. He's able to look and face death. Okay, I'm departing from you soon. And he's able to look backward as well. He's able to look at his past life and his ministry and say, I have fought the good fight. And as well, he is able to look forward to the day of judgment and say, I anticipate receiving this great crown of righteousness. We want that assurance. When you have that kind of confidence and assurance before God, there is nothing like it. We should love one another. We desire that. Do we desire to be like Job, chapter 19, verse 25? He says, For I know, assurance, 
For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Psalm 23, 4, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Assurance. Isaiah 32, 17, And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Or Romans 8, 38, 39, Paul says, For I am sure, assurance, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This isn't just a, I hope things are going to work out. I trust things are going to work out. It is, I mean, listen. A certainty. That is assurance. A certainty within. I mean, it almost sounds and does to some as presumptuous. But it's not because it's rooted in the words of Jesus. It's believing His Word and trusting His Word. But, But there is available to us as God's children. Now, those of you who are Christians, there is available to you this certainty that I am my beloved's and He is mine. That I have confidence. I do not fear Him. And when you have that assurance, aren't you the most obedient Aren't you the most loving? Aren't you the most joyful? Some of us, the way our lack of assurance shows is just plain old depression and discouragement, despondence. I don't know. I, I know my heart, I know my thoughts. I don't know if it's possible. Lack of assurance. The joy gets robbed. There's another way that lack of assurance is dealt with. Not through the depression and discouragement, but another way that lack of assurance is dealt with is to just ignore it and get busy. This is also really popular. Well, I'm just not going not gonna to think about that and I'm just going to do things. I'm just going to stay busy, right? Distraction. Just going to distract myself. Just going to come to be a part of this ministry and I'm going to do this and I'm going to volunteer here and I'm going to volunteer there and there's never going to be a quiet moment. No meditation, none of that. No meditation, no extended quiet times because conviction... No assurance, don't want that bad. Just going to stay busy and distract myself and, and, and convince myself you know, that maybe things are okay. And they're both, both really tough places to be. But John's encouragement, 
especially for those of us who struggle with assurance. Love one another. Love one another. How is this possible? Verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Not only does this love of God drive out fear, it also drives out hate. Verse 20 and 21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. First John 3.18 said something very similar. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. In 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So, in conclusion, the important piece that we're seeing in John's teaching today is that, and new, is that loving one another is a, a means to assurance before God. Assurance. Gaining confidence for that day of judgment and, and all fear of God being casted out. And God's means to that is that you and I would love one another. So you have God's way in, in one category, and then you have all of our ways in another category, right? Distract myself. Uh, don't think about it. We'll go to a church that doesn't really preach the gospel. And these are all ways that we just go someplace where things will just be an inch deep and nobody's going to get any deeper. Just bounce out of every accountability group and every Bible study and everything that gets below a surface level. We have all these tactics to just deal with our lack of assurance before God. Or just white-knuckle my sin. And if I could just get, just get this sin under control and just, just not do this for a month or six months or a year, well, then I'll have the confidence. Then I'll have the assurance before God. Or, or just kind of self-medicate and just, and, and just kind of babble to myself and just encourage myself with, with no Scripture really, but just kind of give myself, you know, boosting, converse, you know, just these motivational speeches just to try to point out all the, all the good things and, or, or, or build relationships and friendships only with people who just kind of scratch my back and never challenge me. And so I run from all those kinds of relationships. And I really have, when I evaluate, I don't have anybody in my life that really challenges me or confronts me or calls me to the mat. It's just all a tactic. It's a way that I deal with. I don't have assurance before God, no confidence. There's a lot of fear. And so this is how I'm going to deal with that. And in doing that, be very careful because you might just delude yourself all the way to hell. There might be a bigger problem than you just struggle with assurance and it's you should have no assurance and you should run to Jesus for the first time. But if we, just, we struggle here, right? We, we've seen this in John. He, Dear brothers, my beloved, if we struggle with this lack of assurance and it's, it's crippling, hear his words. Not all this stuff that you, you've got over here. This. Love one another. 
love one another. Take this person out to coffee. Go to lunch with them. Ask them how you can pray for them. And don't have it be a one-hit wonder. Go back, check up the next week. Become a member of a church. Join a, a, a community group. Ask how you can serve. Come a little early. Stay a little late. Whatever. There's just so many ways that we can begin to create platforms in our life where we can actually begin to do what John says is going to lead to your assurance. Then as your pastor, like John's heart, I want that for you. I want you to have confidence for the day of judgment and I want the fear to be casted out. I'll pray. And then we're going to take communion together. If you're visiting with us, the way we do this is we have leaders up here who want to serve. And just when you're ready, come forward and you can take the bread and the juice. And then we ask you to take it back to your seat and then wait and we'll, we'll take it together. It's also a very serious meal. Um, this is only for believers. This is only for Christians. If you're not a believer yet, if you're not a Christian yet, then we would ask that you not take this meal. As well, we believe that this is a family meal to be taken among God's people as brothers and sisters as we serve and take this together, one another as a family. So if you're not a part of a church family and there's a problem there, maybe, there's a problem in that you just have been non-committed and you've just been shopping or hopping and you've just really not locked in someplace and there's a sin issue there, we would also ask that you not take this meal until you're connected to Christ and His body in a real tangible way, not just in your heart, but in a real way. And if you're visiting from another church or whatever, you're, you're, welcome. you're welcome to take this meal with us. But let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of this Gospel that Jesus Christ came and lived perfectly, not us. That He suffered and died in our place. That the death that we should die, He died. So that our sins could be forgiven because they've been paid for by Him. Not only that, but Jesus raised from the dead in our place as our representative. And His righteousness can be our righteousness. That now, Father, You through Jesus, our mediator, our sacrifice, our Savior, through Jesus You see us. We love You, God. Thank You for opening our eyes to this truth that we cried out to You in, in love and in thankfulness and in belief and faith. We pray that You would open more eyes. God, You have said from the book of Acts that there are many who are among us who have not yet heard Your voice, but will. God, our desire and hope is that there are some here this afternoon who would hear Your voice for the first time through Your Word and by Your Spirit, that they would know and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh, our perfect Savior, living, suffering, dying in our place, that we could have life before You. Thank You for displaying Your glory in this way. You've given us so much to think about, so much to sing about, so much to pray about, so much to preach about, so much to talk about. We love You and give You all praise, glory, and honor. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Bah.